But it is Palm Sunday. So think about, it was 1,400 years before Jesus, Moses came, brought his people to a mountain, freed them from slavery so that they can worship God. 400 years later, then you got David establishing God's kingdom. And for the first time, there's this prosperous nation that is happening. It doesn't last long because people get used used to that prosperity, and then they want to move on. They want to go to something new, something better, and they start worshiping other gods and following other idols. And it's not too long after that, nation after nation will come in and take away everything that they have. And for 1,000 years, they will be waiting for the Messiah. The Messiah is going to come. The Messiah is going to save us. For 1,000 years, fathers will be worrying about what's going to happen to their families the next day, but are able to ingrain that into their son to saying, have hope. The Messiah is coming. Messiah is coming. Mothers and daughters will be in their homes putting together scraps of food, knowing that this very well could be the very last meal that their family eats, but saying, it won't always be like this because the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. And for 1,000 years, prophets will get in front of large numbers of people and say, have hope, Messiah is coming. Until one day, 1,030 years after David, a baby is born in a stable. And if you guys came to the Living Nativity, think of it as part one in a trilogy of when God became flesh. God came for the first time on, on, on earth in that way to redeem us, to bring back this kingdom. But he didn't come the way we all expected it, or they all expected it. So 30 years later, Jesus starts his ministry. And over the next three years in his ministry, lepers' skin rearranges itself. All the, the bruising and the pus goes away. And for the first time, when they enter a town, they don't ever have to refer to themselves as unclean again. Blind men will receive sight. There's a, a mother that will kiss her daughter goodnight with such intentionality and, and purpose and love, knowing because there was a moment at her daughter's funeral, Jesus came and resurrected her back from the dead. It was the small encounters. It was the big teachings. It was, it was feeding 5,000 and then feeding 4,000. And over time, the people in that three years, the, the saying the Messiah is coming started to, to dwindle, started to go away. And the phrase, the Messiah is here, started. Hope was brought back to them. Hope. And on this Palm Sunday, Jesus walks into Jerusalem. It was the right time. It was the right place. And he was the right man. So, Father in heaven, we thank you for today. We ask, Lord, that you just be with us. Lord, speak through me. God, as we study your word, 
Let us all be different as we leave this place and we came in. In your name, amen. All right, like I said, it's Happy Palm Sunday. Um, we didn't have any palms to give you, but whatever. Um, uh, my name is Pastor Michael, if you don't know me, and I do apologize for the hat. Normally, I don't wear a hat when I preach. Um, it's not that I'm trying to be cool or anything, uh, but I had a, a, a surgery done on my head, and I was le- leading up to the surgery. I just, it was going to be just a small little operation. They were going to just remove some things on my head, and um, I would tell everybody yeah, on this date, I'm going to not be at work because i got to get this done, and I'll be back tomorrow because I've known people that had the same operation. Like, oh, yeah, you'll be fine. It's just, it's just you know, impatient, and you go back to work. I'm like, great, I'll go back the next day. So I'm telling the, the staff, and every person I would tell, hey, I'm going to have this surgery, they said, oh, no, you're going to be out for a while. I'm like, what, really? And then as, as it gets closer, they're like, can we pray for you? And I'm like, it's just an outpatient surgery. Like, what is going on? And, and my wife, and she's praying, and, and just more. And, and the day that I, I was here at work, and I'm leaving, and I'm like, all right, guys, I'm leaving. I'm having my surgery at 1. And they're like, oh, no, we're going to pray for you real quick. And I'm like, why is everyone worried more than me? I'm like, I will be back tomorrow, guys. It's okay. Um, I go home and, you know, I kind of get dressed in some comfy clothes. And I pick out my movie I'm going to watch when I come home and relax. And uh, and I'm walking out the door to go. I say goodbye to everybody. I say goodbye to my family. And uh, my father-in-law is going to take me to the hospital or to the, the operation room. And then my daughter rushes out the door and gives me the biggest hug and then just starts praying for me which was very sweet, but I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> I feel like everyone is treating me like this is the last moment they ever have with me. And I mean, it was very sweet. I was very proud, but I'm like, okay, I'll be home. I get there and, you know, I'm thinking I'm just going to sit in a chair and they'll just, you know, do their thing and I'll walk out. Nope. They say, you got to put on the gown. I'm like, Why? Like, all right, well, the anesthesiologist is coming. I'm like, why? Aren't you just going to give me, like, a numbing shot? Like, no, we're going to put you to sleep. I'm like, what? <laughs> I go in. Now I'm in a full operation gown and room, just like in the ER and the, the movies and all that kind of stuff. And they're like, all right, you're going to sleep. I'm like, I don't understand. And then I wake up, all droggy. And they said, hey, just so you know, we had to shave a little bit of your hair. I'm like, how much? They said, well, just like the top. <laughs> and then I go to touch it, and then I can't even touch my hair because my head's like a Q-tip. I have this big old bandage, and they said, okay, two things. You got to wear that for two weeks. And I'm like, two weeks? And they said, yeah, you can only have soup for like the next two days. I'm like, soup for the next two days? I didn't do that. I, I did not. I don't like soup. Anyways, um... I didn't have to wear the bandage. They were misinformed, but the, the surgeon said, no, no, just two days wear the bandage and take it off. But when I took off my bandage, my hair was gone. <laughs> and it's gnarly scars. I mean, I look like a Bond villain. And that doesn't really necessarily bother me, but the way they cut my hair was it really was just like a, and like they left all different hairs everywhere. And I'm not going to name which staff member, 
But I did show them, and they immediately laughed at me. I'm like, oh, like a couple days ago, you were praying for me, and now you're laughing at me. It's great that this has all changed. And so, anyways, yeah, and I looked like a psychopath. Um, you know, I've shown a couple people the scars, and yeah, if you want to look at it, that you're into that sort of thing, I'll show you. I mean, it'll cost you a nickel, but... Um, but I had the wrong expectation about this whole thing from beginning to end. And so as my head is healing and, you know, I've been wearing a hat a lot recently. So, but yeah, I was totally wrong. I was totally wrong on this, this expectation and really threw me for a loop. And to be honest with you, I was dealing, I was kind of like a little depressed about it because it just completely caught me off guard. I mean, I got over it pretty quick, but it was just, it was rough. So... That's why I wear the hat. So let's get into Palm Sunday. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke 19. All the Gospels tell this story, except for, ironically, Luke is the only Gospel that does not mention any palms. So your Bible's not broken. He just doesn't talk about the palms. All right, let's start. Chapter 19, verse 28 says, After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going to Jerusalem. As he approached uh, Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter, you will find a colt there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, Why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. It's strange because it sounds like Jesus is telling them to go steal a donkey. Like, go steal it, just go get it. And so they go and just say, if anyone just questions you, just say, the Lord has need of it. Like, oh, okay, well, that's the secret password, I guess. All right, continuing on, 32. Those uh, who sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, well, the Lord has need of it. I don't know if you find this story as funny as I do. It doesn't say which disciples he sent, but <laughs> Jesus just says, go get the, and if anyone says, just say, I want it. Say, the Lord wants it. And so they go. It's like, how long did it take them before they said, oh, yeah, there's that donkey, just like he said. It's like, what do we do? It's like, you know, we lose our hands for this. Sure enough, they go. Like, which disciple finally says, okay, let's, let's get it. Let's go. And sure enough, someone pops out and says, what are you doing? <laughs> so, no, the Lord has needed it. Oh, okay. Take it. <laughs> Chances are that it was like a prearranged thing. I don't think Jesus was telling them to steal it. But regardless, when they, get, when they said the Lord has need of it, they took it. He, it was okay. Which is crazy to think because... Jesus has spent how much time uh, telling people, don't say anything. My time has not come. Don't, don't say what I, the healing I did for you. Keep it to yourself. He's been really quiet onto this issue. And now he's saying, you tell him the Lord needs it. 35. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near to the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in a loud voice. For all the miracles they had seen, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. 
peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowds said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. All right? He gets on the colt. You've seen it in the movies. He's going down. The palms are being brought down. People are throwing their cloaks on the ground. He's, he's riding on in. People are just losing their minds. Why? Because for the last thousand years, this is the moment they have been waiting for. This is the Messiah coming to take the kingdom. Losing their minds. And of course, the Pharisees already fearing the loss of their power, fearing the, the, you know, their disruption in their way of life, fearing that things are going to change, they're going to lose the little bit of religious power they have, says, so stop it. Tell your people to stop praising you. And again, Jesus says, well, he says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. We talked about it we, I think it was a year ago when we did the Bible stories, that from the beginning when God created uh, mankind, humans, it was the relationship that he wanted, and sin brought that or tore that apart or put a wedge into that, into that relationship. But it was from the beginning that even creation is waiting for this moment, for, for the whole world to be reconciled, to be changed, to to. to be made the way it was meant to be. And he says that if there's no one here, creation itself would scream out because this is the day. This is the day. But they didn't have to. Why? Because the people were doing it. Rocks, birds, trees, any animal, fishes, whales, didn't have to do that because the people were ready the people brought it. And that's Palm Sunday, right? That's what, that's what we see in the movies. Sometimes it's, it's uh, I don't know, some, like, I, was watch, I watched a lot of these videos just leading up to this message, like their portrayal. And there's one Jesus that looks like he's just like giving high fives. <laughs> he's coming in and he's, you know, there's one, uh, there's this, just different variations, but the, the, there's one where the Jesus just looks stoic and just sad coming in, and you wonder why. Is it because less than one week later, we're going to get those same people that are praising his name, saying, save us now, Hosanna, are going to say, crucify him? You ever wonder? Less than one week later, how does he go from hero to villain? Because he never did nothing wrong. He doesn't all of a sudden start, he doesn't start sinning and doing things. He never does nothing wrong, but he goes from hero to villain in less than a week. How does that happen? I think the, I think the answer to that, if you continue on, 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Why does Jesus cry at the end of the triumphal 
entry. What is it that he sees about the people that he just weeps? It says that he wept, but the, the Greek translation really implies that he, like, he bawls uncontrollably for the people. And I love how it says that if only, if you, even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. It's because... They had the right person. I'm sorry, they had the right place. It was the right time. Jesus was the right man. But the people had the wrong expectations. They had the wrong expectations on what Jesus was going to do. And yet there is probably, I think about my own kids and and the expectations that they, you know, that they have on me, and there's something, you know, obviously you want to, as a parent, you want to give into those expectations, even when they are crazy, but you still want to because you love them, and part of this crying is probably the very same, is the Father's heart that Jesus says, I really want to be the guy that you want me to be, but that's not who the Father wants me to be. That's not who the Father's plan. It's because those people wanted the kingdom right now. They wanted everything to change in that moment. And over the course of the week, when they find out that it's not what it is, when they realize that their expectations have just been destroyed, well, yeah, then you get the people that go from save us, Hosanna, to crucify him. It's the very thing that's going to cause the disciples just to spread out and leave and go back to their old way of life. It's going to cause, be the very thing that Jesus, I'm sorry, that Peter is going to be like, I don't even know the dude. It's the expectation. It's going to cause all the hate. Expectations or wrong expectations will ruin our relationships and change the way we see things. Right? How many of you guys have ever been wronged or hurt by a, an expectation? Do you guys remember the pump shoe? Yeah, that thing guaranteed that I would run faster, jump higher. And if I knew if I only saved enough money, if I only used every little bit and chores, that if I got that shoe, I'm going to be dunking on my friends in basketball. Get that shoe, pump it up. And then the cool thing, oh, but I got to release out some air. Wrong expectations. Still can't do it. Still can't dunk. On my kids' court, I can, but not on mine. Wrong expectations. One of the things I love to do here uh, is uh, premarital counseling and uh, helping people as they're getting ready to marry each other. And uh, my favorite part of that is the expectation page. (laughs) All right? Which is good because I wish I had that before I got married. I wish I had known these things. So it's fun to, to do this. And, and so I'll say, all right, so in your, in your house, as you're going to be this new couple, who is responsible for the dishes? Like, oh, okay. Yeah, they point to each other. All right, so who typically will, you know, take care of the bills? Oh, so the bills aren't going to get done. Right? But it helps them to realize that 
okay, I can't expect this, and they work it out, and we, they create a plan, which, because expectations, it causes resentment. It causes, you know, it can get to the point where you could physically hate somebody because your expectations aren't being met. And I get it. I get that I'm not, you know, bad-mouthing the people that went from Hosanna to crucify him because I think if I was there, I'd probably do the same thing. I probably would have had the same expectations because you've been waiting so long. You've been waiting for this moment. It's like, you know, you've seen the movies like Braveheart and Gladiator. You have this, that epic moment at the end. And, and you know, it'd be, the movie ends with him just getting an arrow and him dying. And then people would be like, oh, well, that was fun. Right? It, what a letdown. It's the same thing. These people did not get what they want because their expectations on who Jesus is and who God is did not match. It's important that we have the right expectations of God. How many people do you know or friends or family members that have done this, that have been Christians and that have, you know, just said, like, I'm going to be going to church every day. I'm going to, I'm going to be reading my Bible and, you know, praying. But the minute that something happens in their life, they're like, oh, that's it. I'm out. I'm done. It's because their expectation is that of God is making a deal, right? They're making a deal with God. If I, if I do this, this, and this, you're going to do this, this, and this, right? How many people say like, oh, I've given so much money to the church. I, I tithe and I do all these things. And the minute they hit with a, a, heartache, a heartache where they're, they're, maybe their lifestyle needs to change a bit, they're saying, well, I'm never giving money again. I'm done. Well, it's because your expectation of God was that of a banker and you wanted interest, right? Have to have the right expectations because it will kill our relationship. It will destroy us and we'll want to walk away from God thinking, I've been there, I tried that, I don't want it. So how do we avoid this? How do we avoid having, not having the wrong expectations? Well, we got to understand the goal. The goal is this. I'll paraphrase it, but going back to verse 28, 1928, it says, after Jesus had said this. All right, typically, whenever you read that in the Bible, you got to go back and realize, look at, well, what did Jesus say? What was it he said before you get into the story? And so what he said was he, on his way to Jerusalem, he stopped by Jericho. You've heard of the story of Zacchaeus. He finds Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector that nobody wanted. Calls him from the trees, says that you, today you're going to be saved. Zacchaeus sells everything, and he's redeemed in that moment as a tax collector and invites Jesus over for dinner, or Jesus invites himself, and they have this magnificent dinner. And at that dinner, he tells his disciples the story. He said, there's a noble man that's going to get a kingdom. He says, but before I do that, on my 10 servants, I'm going to give you some money. Let's just say I'm going to give you a dollar, something else. But, you know, you get the picture, right? I'll give you one dollar. So, and then I'm leaving. You, you do something with that dollar. Do something with it. And when I come back, I want something. So he goes, he inherits the kingdom. He then talks about how when he goes to the kingdom, the people don't want him to be king, but he eventually comes back to his, to the, to, uh, his workers and he says, or what did you do with it? One of the workers says, well, I took your one and I got 10 more. 
So great, that's amazing. So when he asked Noah, what did you do? He's all, well, I took your one and I got you five more. So great, that's amazing. Good job, well done, good and faithful servant. Perfect. Asked another, well, what'd you do? He goes, well, I'm terrified of you, so I didn't do anything with it. I just held it. I kept it to myself. And he says, you were a wicked servant. He says, you didn't do nothing with it. And he took that and he gave it to somebody else. And he tells this story almost as, as, like there's an importance to this story, right? Because this is the very last thing he talks to his disciples before he goes to Jerusalem to die. You have to get this story. You have to understand the plan. You have to understand the goal. Because what it is is when I go here, I'm taking back the kingdom. But what I'm leaving you is the gospel. You need to do something with it. Get that. Understand that. It's not about me coming back and, and you know, doing this story or, uh, you know, taking back the kingdom from Rome and establishing everything. No, I'm taking the kingdom so that everybody, everybody can be here. But I leave you the gospel. Do something with it. That's the goal. That's the expectation. That's the direction. And that's what the people needed to get. And they did it. Not even the disciples truly understood it. All right, continuing on. So what can we expect and how do we respond? Well, here's the thing about God. First thing we can expect from God is love unchanging. His love never changes for us. Think back to... I don't know, high school, junior high, if you ever were in a relationship and what that felt like when maybe someone broke up with you. It hurt, right? I remember experiencing that. I mean, now I look back at that, I'm glad, but it still hurts. Regardless, it still hurts because you're feeling rejected. You're feeling, you know, even just with friendships, how you can have friendships and you can think that, that your side of the friendship, that your sides of friendship are equal, but there's going to be a day where you realize no, it's not equal, that I'm pouring more into this friendship than this person is, and you feel rejected. But what we can expect from God Amen. is that his love never changes. Romans 8, 38 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Expect that. He will never stop loving you. And the minute that any thought or any vision or anything that pops in your head that is contrary to that, you're being messed with by the enemy. Because God's love never goes away. How do we respond to that? So if that's an expectation that we can guarantee from God, how do we respond to that? We respond to that is in worship. We worship. And that's what the people were doing, right? They were worshiping Jesus as he, as he was ridden in on the donkey, worshiping him. Except for they didn't know him. They didn't know his, who he was. They just were raising their hands and saying the words. And saying, this is going to be awesome. We're going to get so much out of this. They had the different idea in worship. 
Look, I, I can remember... I can remember coming in this church and no one taught me how to worship or what that even looked like. Again, I did not come from a church. I did not have a background where I was used to people raising their hands. So I would come in and I would see people doing that. I would just wonder, like, what is going on? I would see people with their hands raised and, like, looking all over the place and just could not figure out what this was. And then I would go and I would sit down and I would wait. I'm like, well, is this like going to magically happen? Or do I do that? Or, or what? And I thought like, well, I must be doing worship wrong. I can remember there was a, it was a night, a prayer night here. And it was over time that the college pastor, he was this really big guy. And he was meeting with me and praying with me, and I was just kind of standing like this because I'm still trying to figure everything out, like, what is this? And, you know, I'm still waiting for, like, the hands to go up or when, like, what part of the song? Like, how, do, how does everyone know when to do it, right? <laughs> Don't know. And I remember him just grabbing me and, like, shaking me, like, just cry, cry out to him, cry out to him. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> okay, right? But it was out of fear. I mean, he wasn't being mean, but you know what I mean. It scared me. So I just didn't get it. I did not get it. Worship. No one really, like, explained it to me. It's just something we did, something you did. And again, so I, I would watch people. I'd, I'd just watch them. I'd sit in the back and I'd watch them, how they did it and what they did. And again, you got some people that were on their knees and some people just pouring out, some people crying, some people, like, again, just like looking all over the place as they had their hands up. I'm like, what are they looking at? Are they, is he looking at me? Is he trying to make sure that I'm doing it right? I don't know. But, but what is it? What is it about it that is important? And, and, and so, so what is worship? And I wish I would have just read this first. And so Romans 12, 1, 2 says this. Says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Right there. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will for you, his good and perfect will. I wish I had read that before, because guess what? There's no singing. There's no arm raised in that scenario. But what there is, is just saying, be a living sacrifice. Be a living sacrifice. And it wasn't until I got that before I was able to really just surrender and be obedient that I realized I've got nothing else but to do this. I've got nothing else. You have to surrender. You have to be obedient. Otherwise, yeah, it's just, it's just for show. It's just like them having the wrong expectations. Continuing on, what else can we guarantee from God? What else can we expect? His unending presence. His unending presence. Matthew 8, or 28, 20 says, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You better believe it. Once I realized how serious this operation was, and they were saying, wow, your heart rate's going way up. 
I'm like, well, yeah, because I had no idea this is going on. I'm praying to God. They even said, like, we got to wait till your heart rate goes down before we do anything. So I'm like, okay, well, why don't you just tell me what you're going to do so I can know what's happening. But I was praying to God, knowing that he's with me in that room, knowing that he is with me, calming my heart, bringing my heart weight down. His unending presence. We're not promised an easy life, but we are promised that God will be with us in our difficulties every step of the way. That's a guarantee. That's an expectation we can have. How do we respond to that? We respond with generosity. We be a generous people. We can't help that when we're in the presence of God, that we are being filled, we are getting things, that we just can't help but give it back. I loved how the people, even, they, even though they didn't get it during the, the, the triumphal entry, they were putting down their cloaks because they are in his presence. They are in the presence of Jesus. They are in the presence of God in man. They put down their cloaks. It is one of the most valuable pieces that they own. They weren't, he wasn't coming into the rich part of town. He was coming to like, this is all we own. This is a cloak is as everything. It's what keeps you warm at night. It might be your only blanket. It might be um, as you're a, yeah, you're a shepherd, you're going off. It's what you bundle stuff in so that you can carry it better. It's everything to them. And yet, they're taking it off and just laying it down, letting the donkey trample all over it. Generosity. We get so that we can give in his presence. It's not about self being, it's not always about being selfish. All right. So like I said, it's like, think of it like a movie trilogy. Jesus born, the, 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 the baby being born in, in a stable and immediately people trying to kill him. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing story to tell at Christmas time. And then you get this story. He comes in the triumphal entry. But if you guys ever know this about movies, that part two always is the bummer movie right? Because it sets you up for the victory in part three. And so what else can we expect? Part three in the Jesus coming trilogy, that we can expect his return. And Revelations 19, 11 says, I saw in heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice, he judged and wages war. His eyes are like the blazing fire on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one even knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe, dripped in blood. His name is the word of God. The armies of heaven are following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean, that we can guarantee you that that time is going to happen. We can guarantee that. He will come just in full body armor. He's, he's probably going to be looking terrifying. He's not going to be the, the Jesus next to the lamb in those pictures. But that's okay because what we want him to do is to eradicate sin forever. And so he needs to be that that terrifying thing or person. He's got an army that is just behind him in just linen clothes. Why? Because that army is not going to touch battle. He is the only one that's going to do it. But it looks good. And we're going to be a part of it, 
We're going to get front row seats to see him. Think about everything, any evil that has ever been done in this world, either that you've read or saw or even happened to yourself. He's going to redeem that. He is going to stop that. Any insecurity thought that you might have had, that is going to be gone. We are going to be perfect and sinless. Why? Because he is going to fight that battle. He is going to fight that battle. We can guarantee his returns. The king of king, Lord of lords, he will be the king of the earth. I can't wait. I was just with some friends this weekend. We talked about that, that we hope we kind of see that in our lifetime. Not saying that it will. (laughs) Just saying it would be cool, right? It would be nice before, like, my kids get into puberty. This this whole thing just gets wrapped up. But, uh, no, that's an honest thought that I have. And every year, my New Year's prayer is like, Lord, come back. Come back this year. Let this be the year that you're back. And we go. But the truth is, how do we respond to his return? We have to respond with compassion. See, Jesus walked around after that triumphal entry. He walked around looking at the people and wept. They just don't get it. They just don't get it. Do we do that? Do we have family members, friends that we walk by and there's something in us that hurts because they just don't get it? Everything inside me wants Jesus to come back right now. But he has convicted me and said, well, do you really want me to come back? Or do you need more time for the people that you love? Selfishness, I want Jesus back so we can rule and reign with him. But the compassion, he needs to take as long as it takes. And yeah, and that means that we're going to suffer a little bit longer but we need that more time, right? Band, come on up. So, I do believe Pastor Larry took my communion. (laughs) So let's remember the goal. Let's remember the, what he gave, the story about what he gave to the servants, what he gave to people. Look, we all, people get, thank you, we all get, there are talents that people get that are in different numbers, right? Some people get more of this talent, some people get less of that, goes back and forth, thanks. But the one thing that we all have equally is the gospel. And so what are we going to do with that? What are we going to do? Let's pray. Can I also have the ushers come on up? We're going to pray for the offering as well. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, for your love, your presence, your, your, your dedication to us, God that you have never once wanted to quit on us. You've never once 
not wanting to die for us. Jesus, you knew what it was going to take. You knew what it was going to be like being on the cross, being separated from God as you had our sins, and yet you still said, no, I'm going to do it. Thank you for that, Lord. Father, yes, we do want you to come back. We are wanting that, Lord. But, but give us what we need to share that gospel. Help us not to hold it for ourselves, God, but to give it to everyone, our family, our friends that need it. Father, I thank you. Lord, I ask, Lord, that you bless this offering. You help us to be good stewards of what you have given us. There is one, one more thing that we can expect from God. The last thing is this, perfect glory. Perfect glory. This life is but a baby step. A baby step for eternity. That we are going to be, we're going to be far more, we're going to have more time being perfect than we ever will being in sin. That's a comforting thought. We can't escape the effects of sin of this falling world, but we can have a firm expectation that living with him, that we will be able to live with him in a perfect world forever. So as we do that, as we know that we can have perfect glory, let's remember how we got that. So if take your, take the bread, it was Jesus' body that he willingly and freely chose to be arrested, not fought back, not defended anything he said, but he chose to do this, to give us his body so that we can be, have perfect glory. Do that now in remembrance of him. Eat that. He chose willingly to give up his body because that the only way, only way this was going to happen was going to be the shedding of perfect blood that he also gave up willingly. He lived a sinless life so that us sinners 
can be sinless in the eyes of God because of the blood. Drink this now in remembrance. So church, this week, either one, take time to get your expectations right of God because we don't want to be the ones that just be like, you know what, I'm done. Take time to read your word. Pray to God, God, under, help me to understand what can I expect from you. He will tell you. He will show you. But know this. Proverbs 23, 18 says, There is surely a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. We have eternity to look forward to because of what Jesus did this week. Amen? Amen. Have a great week.